0: This is Johnny Silva. I'm the pastor at Dilly First United Methodist Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, I hope it builds your faith, and I hope it gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. So I was looking forward to spending some, some time with my family, and I had scheduled some haircuts for the boys and I, I we were gonna go walking in the park, we were gonna take a trip to Costco, Um, along with uh, a laundry list of things that we were going to accomplish in this weekend. Um, But, you know, as well as I do, you have plans and then you have reality. Um, And then so I had everything all planned. We were um, all ready to go because I was taking well, the whole family was going to go um, to the haircut place and we're going to get our haircuts. But um, our little Noxie uh, was having a tough day. And I think it was it was a lot of things kind of going uh, on at one time. And so for, for him, um, anytime that there's a little bit of change in a routine, because he wasn't in school, he usually is in school on Fridays. And so it was a little, little bit disorienting maybe. And so things were off for him already. And so um, I will say that uh, we were, about to get in the car to go the car was already on we were trying to get Knox in the car and he just had a different idea like no i don't think i'm going to do that today and so with that i was not very happy about that at all and i you know there was meltdowns that occurred and there was weeping and gnashing of teeth and you know threats and promises were made all that sort of stuff Um, But the thing that absolutely, absolutely crushed me was that I lost my cool. And I yelled at, at Knox. And I could see him just kind of be dejected and completely crumble under the weight of my words. And it wasn't necessarily my words, but it was how I said them. And so I hurt him. And I sincerely apologize and even eventually we moved on. But it was just, there was a a chasm between us. Whenever I did that, I I was in the wrong. I mean, yes, he was throwing a tantrum, but I pretty much did the same thing. I'm an adult. He's a kid. And so I should have known better. I should have done better. And I apologize to him. But again, there was this this uh, this chasm between us because this had happened, this had occurred, and there is this separation between he and I. And he was hurt, and I was the one who did the hurting. And again, it just hurt me because I, I'm the fun guy. I'm the I'm the one who he likes to um, to wrestle with. I'm the one he likes to just uh, snuggle with and whatever. Like I I'm I'm his guy for that. I'm the fun dad. And so whenever I did that, it it was like I betrayed him. Like I was somebody that I was not supposed to be. I said something. I did something that I was not supposed to. And it shocked him. And I, I just felt horrible about it. Now, if you're anything like me, you've made mistakes. And unfortunately, you've probably hurt the ones you love. And I mean... We hurt more than just the ones that we love, but if we're honest with ourselves, it's the ones that we love that that really, it hurts to hurt them. And and I think that that is why it's so difficult. Whenever we see that, it's like, oh my goodness, I was the one that made this happen, that made them sad or made them angry, or, or whatever the case is, like, I did that. And so, What we've actually been conditioned to do, once this happens, is apologize. And if appropriate, and if we're daring enough, we we ask for forgiveness. But why? Why exactly do we say that we're sorry? And why do we ask for forgiveness? Not only is it something we've been kind of conditioned to do from a very young age, I mean, I remember this I even say this to my to my children say you're sorry give them a hug you know whatever the case is right we're we're conditioning them to do that but there has to be a reason behind this and so even though we've been conditioned from a young age it just feels like something that needs to happen within the depths of our souls and it just doesn't feel right whenever something like that happens it's unsettling as if we feel kind of off balance and it weighs on us unless and until we do something to relieve that ache. In this series that we've entitled Revival, we've been talking uh, the last couple of weeks about what might bring about revival. One of those things that um, Pastor Linda um, explored for us was devotion. Last week, we talked about prayer, And today, as you might have figured it out by now, we speak on repentance. All of these things are absolutely necessary in order to bring about revival. And to back it up just a little bit, because I wasn't here at the beginning of this sermon series, just to back it up a little bit and to put it in simple terms, revival is basically bringing to life, bringing back to life, that which was once dying or even dead. That, the image that often comes to mind for me is that image of healing rain on an earth that is desperately in need of it, in a drought, if you will, feeling that, that healing rain that can lead towards healing from the inside out. And we definitely have experienced better times. That's what we're thinking about. Those better times. And then we yearn for those once again. We remember. We remember when everything was green and lush. And for our our spiritual awakening. We remember that there was a time where it was easy. Where it was fun. Where it was Life giving and we want to get back there. We want to see things happen because of our faith. We want to see God in real life happen to us and to the people around us and to our community and to our world. We want to see that we yearn for that. We know that there was a better time and there is a better time to come. But right now, right here, we are in need of a revival. So we devote ourselves to the teachings of God. We pray without ceasing and we repent. All of these things, as I said, are necessary actions in which we engage for hope of seeing vibrant, full, and extraordinary faith once again. As we long for this type of revival, we examine the life of John the Baptist for inspiration, for guidance, direction, and hopes of engaging in repentance. So I'm not sure if you have heard about this before, but probably a couple months back, there was something that was labeled as revival and it took place on campus of Asbury, um, which is in Wilmore, Kentucky. And it was, have y'all heard about this? Yes, some of you have. And so there was, there was this um, worship service. It was a, um, just a weekly worship service that they had in the chapel, um, which was bigger than this, but I mean, it is a, a chapel. And they just kept on singing. They kept on praying. And it kept on going on and on and on and on. And so there was a lot of hope behind this because there was this thought of, man, this is what we need. We need revival. And unfortunately, my in the back of my mind is like, I'm, I hope that that is true. But I also hope that it's not just something that's here one day and gone the next. Because the lasting type of revival leads to a renewal an awakening. And that was my hope that, okay, that's happening over there in Wilmore, Kentucky, and hopefully, and everybody's hope was that it was going to spread everywhere and that we were going to um, be able to feel the effects of God working in our in our midst in ways that we had not for some time or maybe ever before. And, of course, you have to think about the um, the safety, because it was on a college campus and people from all over were coming. They were hungry for this. They were coming from all over. They weren't students and so there had to be some limitations on who could participate in something. And once they did that, once they put those limits on it, everything started to kind of die down and kind of return to life as normal. And so there was a glimpse, there was a glimpse and my, my hope is that that is just the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of a revival. That that was just what can happen. What can happen in Wilmore, Kentucky can happen anywhere. It can even happen here. So my hope is that, that, that we're gonna make a connection and that we would feel that revival here, in this place, in this city, and that we would have some type of reviving going on within us. And so I think about all of that, and I know that there are certain things that have to happen for revival to take place. And one of those, again, is repentance. And this is a very tough thing to do. It's it's not necessarily tough to talk about, but it is tough to actually put into action. So in the Gospel of Matthew, that's where we're looking for the life of John the Baptist, we look at this as according to, to Matthew and we read about first a genealogy from Abraham to Jesus, the infancy narrative that takes them through the departure um, all the way to, to Egypt. And then we encounter, and then we encounter John the Baptist in preparation for the ministry of Jesus. Now, all these stories kind of work together and seek to present Jesus as a spirit-filled son and servant of God. Matthew, for John the Baptist and for us, repentance is absolutely necessary to make room and to prepare for Jesus. So we start off in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent. So that's the first thing he says is, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when saying, The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan and they were baptizing they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Okay, so this is the picture that we get of John the Baptist, and there's a very important reason why we talk about John the Baptist. And so what we hear is the introduction of John as a figure linked to Isaiah, and again, preparing the way of the Lord. Basically an affirmation as applying the Lordship to Jesus. The description of This peculiar, peculiar way that John dresses is basically intended to link him with Isaiah, uh, sorry, with Elijah. His diet marks him as one who really doesn't um, reap or sow or gather in any barns, but he relies solely and entirely on what they call uncultivated foods, or basically he didn't have to work for them, Um, and everything... Everything was provided by the Creator. And I do find it interesting that Matthew here emphasizes John's preaching more than his baptizing. And even though he is called John the Baptist because that's what he did, the thing that was maybe a little bit more important and he puts a lot more emphasis on this is what he said to get people to actually be baptized. Also, there is more focus on the call to repentance without ever really mentioning any promise of forgiveness. So there was more on our act of asking for forgiveness and not as much on the actual uh, forgiveness part. So then we continue on in verse 7. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees Remember, one of the differences is Sadducees, the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees is that they did not believe in um, the afterlife or uh, resurrection. So that's why they were sad, you see, right? The Sadducees. So that's how I remember it from um, seminary. But anyway, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. i, I I can't imagine saying that to to anybody, but he says this, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to rise up, children, to Abraham. Even now, the axe is laying at the oh at the root of the tree even tree every tree therefore does that does not bear fruit bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire again rough words from john rough words from john but we hear something very similar in in what jesus says later on about the religious leaders and against the religious leaders. The metaphor especially seen here is between the fruit and the fruitless tree. And so maybe John is really beginning to um, really bring it against these Pharisees and the Sadducees because they had this thought that they were maybe above other people. That because of their station in life they were somehow holier than thou. That's maybe where we get that thinking is that they were feeling above the others. And so there wasn't really a need or they didn't see a need to repent because they were kind of above that. And I think the point here is that no one person or group of people is above the need of repentance. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. If you truly value the relationship that you have with God, you must repent and produce a faith that leads others to a closer relationship with God. It doesn't matter, again, if you are a clergy person or a lay person, and if you don't know what that means, it's just a person that's um, that's a preacher, basically, or uh, a person that's not. So clergy and lay, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. Everybody stands in the need of repentance we need to repent that's just who we are that's our human nature we make mistakes we are not perfect so to press the point a bit further when john says bear fruit worthy of repentance basically what he's saying is we have to be truly humble everyone has to be truly humble And what that means is basically knowing ourselves before God, knowing that God is God and that we are not and that we stand in need of repentance. So truly being humble, sincerely and consistently repenting of our sins, and then clearly and unmistakably being able to see the way that we live our lives in a way that is consistent with bearing fruit. And what that means is, like if we bear fruit, that means that we are doing what we're supposed to do. And our lives will reflect that. Our lives will say, okay, this is who I follow. And you need to follow that as well because this is, my life is a reflection of who I believe in. And this is just the beginning. So we finish up in verses 11 and 12. I baptize baptize you with water for repentance. And let me make that clear. I baptize you with water for repentance. That's the reason for it. But one is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. Again, that humble, being humble. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenching fire. Again when John brings it, he brings it. And so this is basically an an announcement of the coming of Jesus. Everything that we've done so far, especially really focusing on the repentance part our part in this, can bring about and will bring about the coming of Jesus. And that's good and bad for depending on who you are. Because this announcement of the coming of Jesus and the subsequent judgment again can be a good thing. And there should be no mistake about it. Basically what Matthew is saying here through the words of John is either you live with a penitent manner and fruit producing way Or you don't. You will be judged accordingly. Now this is good news. Again, like I said, for those that already are on the right path. You're doing the the right thing. Everything is great. And there is repentance in your heart and in your life. Not so good news for, for those who aren't doing that. But I want to be clear. This is a message of hope. Yes, there is judgment, not by me, not by even John. John is saying, hey, do what you need to do. Because it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody needs to repent. Because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The kingdom of God is coming near. And because of that, there will be judgment. I'm not judging you. And we don't have any right to judge you. But he does. And it is still good news, though. Because it's not too late. It's not too late. If you don't find yourself being in in that particular um, vein of life where you are doing what you're supposed to do, you are living a life that is bearing fruit, that says, yes, Jesus is Lord of my life and I'm doing that. I'm doing everything I need to. If you're not there, this is a warning. But it's also a message of hope because even if you aren't living the righteous life and producing good fruit, it's not too late. In actuality, the whole point of hope, the the whole point is hope in repentance. You can still make up your mind to change your ways and actually course correct. Repentance can be the means by which this is achieved. And repentance, after all, is our part and our responsibility in participating and bringing about revival. It's part of the process. So as you've seen so far, one of the things that we can do is we can devote our lives, our entire lives, to following Jesus. And what we discussed last week was that we need to have prayer permeate our entire lives you hear that whole thing? Entire life, entire life. And here we come to the point of repentance. Again, this is something we can do. This is an act. We need to have and to live a penitent, that is to a repentant life. We make mistakes time and time again. We hurt other people. We let other people down. And if we value those relationships We know that there's something standing in the way, something that we did that we have control over, but we chose not to control that. And we let it go. And it hurt people. And now we have to, you you can't undo it. You can't go back and and try to, to do it over again. You don't have that. But what you can do is do your best to try to repair the relationship so that you can both move forward. It's hard, it's really hard work, but it's worth the while. I think back to that time just a couple of days ago where I saw Knox just cry, but not just cry, but just I saw his face just drop and I was just like, oh my goodness, I did that. And I felt so sorry, and I so I told him, I'm I'm sorry. And I, I did it the best way that I could. I you know I got down to his level, I, I I picked him up. He didn't he didn't want that though, because he was hurt. I hurt him, and and the thing about this is that whenever we hurt somebody, we want it to to go back to normal, just uh, just like that. Although the hurt that we caused, it's gonna take a little while. Now fortunately, I have a very forgiving child and he chooses to think about all the good things as opposed to the thing that i just did and again i think that that is the way that can lead to revival as if we seek to make reparations if we seek to say i'm sorry and not just i'm sorry but like, no. Honestly, I am crushed by this. I did this. I know this is my fault. And it hurts me and I don't want to do this again. And to have that same type of relationship with God. Coming before God and say, God, you know, you know everything that I've done. And you still choose to love me. But I have to, there's something standing in between me and you in a right relationship. And so I want that out of the way so we can return to a better place. So that we can move forward. Repentance is that act that we have control over. We can do that. And to live this in our lives is something that is difficult. But definitely worth it. So the next time, because there will be a next time, that you hurt somebody. Knowingly or unknowingly, you hurt them. You realize that it's your fault. You say that it's your fault. That's tough. I know. And you ask for their forgiveness. They don't have to give it to you. But you at least have to apologize you at least have to repent. And that's our part. The forgiveness part. It will come. But it might take a little while. But if the relationship is worth it. You're going to stick with it. And my hope and our, my prayer for all of us. Is that this relationship that we have with God. That all of us have with God is worth it. And so we repent. And so we are sorry. And so we move forward with God because God is wanting us to come back. The thing standing in our way is the thing that we did, but we can undo that. And the thing is, there is hope in repentance because we are just one step away from coming closer to God instead of further away. Course-correcting and running back into his arms. This is my hope. This is my prayer. This is my challenge. Because I want revival, and I know that you do too. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There's a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And please share this message with friends and family to help us spread the gospel message. And thanks again for joining us on Dilly First United Methodist Church podcast. Blessings.